Ah, uh, yeah, Mark, I'm, I'm going to need more applause than that to come up front. Uh, yeah, that, that was a little better, but I'm, st- I'm still not feeling I need, I need more than that, Mark. Okay, that's enough, that's enough, that's enough. <laughs> Nothing like a little piped-in applause to make you feel good about coming up front on a Sunday morning. So as you may have uh, realized if you looked at your notes, you looked ahead, that the message this morning is called Killing It, and we're talking about killing approval. Uh, and so I thought it'd be kind of a fun way to come up this morning and begin as we talk about approval. And uh, I just have clapping and celebration because I just need clapping for when I come up on stage. Uh, but we're going to talk about approval this morning, and we're going to talk about, kind of give you a preview of what's coming, we're going to talk about this tension that exists in so many of our lives about seeking the approval of men as compared to the seeking the approval of God. And we want to kill the approval of men in our lives and just seek the approval of God. And this is part of three of our sermon series titled Killing It. And here's the theme verse that we've looked at each week. This is Romans chapter three, excuse me, Romans chapter eight, verse thirteen. It says, But if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And it's this idea of looking at what are the things of the flesh? What are the things that God wants to put to death in our lives? And each week we talk about one of those. The first week we talked about this idea of kind of a religious-based Um, faith kind of deal. In other words, this idea that God doesn't want us to be in a rules-based kind of religious system, that what God wants from us and what God wants for us is that we would be in a dynamic, vibrant relationship with Him. And then last week, we talked about killing pride. And we talked about different areas of our lives where we have pride, and that we can have pride towards God, and we can have pride towards people, But whenever there's pride in a relationship, it ruins the relationship. But if we can remove, and if God can remove the pride in our lives that we have towards people and that we have towards God, then our relationships will flourish. And so we talked about that. I encourage you, if you missed either of the messages the last couple weeks or any message before that, they're all online. You can watch them or you can listen to them. Uh, But we're going to continue this morning with killing it. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to look into your word, to hear from you. Um, God, I pray that you would teach us. I pray that we would be open to what you have to say to us and that we would uh, come out of this message this morning singularly focused on desiring to have your approval of our lives and no one else's. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's the question that I want to put forward to you as we start out. It's how much do you struggle with the approval of others? The question is not do you struggle or do you think about the approval of others. All of us do to some extent or another. But the question I want you to think about is how much is that a part of your decision making? How much is that a part of the way that you think about life in terms of seeking the approval of others? 
Because we do it in all sorts of different ways. With the um, sort of rise of social media in the last decade or so, we can really see it kind of come out in big ways. How many of you ever posted something on Instagram, right? And then you come back like four minutes later, it's like, how many likes do I have, right? You post something on Twitter, you come back 10 minutes later, do I have a retweet? Do I have a comment? You put a picture of Facebook, of, on Facebook of your sweet, beautiful family or something really insightful, and then you come back an hour later, you went, do I have any comments? Did anybody share it? Do I have any likes? You know, and we're kind of seeking that approval. I did this thing uh, about a week ago where I um, picked winners and losers in the NCAA uh, basketball bracket, not based on coaching or teams or anything, based on solely on one thing, on mascots, right? Will a grizzly bear be able to defeat a wolverine? Can a buckeye defeat a jackrabbit? Can a Spartan beat a bison, right? And, I, and so I made a little video, and I had like kind of pictures going around, and, and I posted it on Facebook. I did four different things. I posted it on Facebook, and I came back an hour later, and there was like two people that liked it. I'm like, the rest of the world are losers. These guys know what's up. So I, I talked to a friend of mine, hey, can you share this so it gets a little bit more reach, right? But, you know, and I'm always looking at this going, how to do, how to do, because we're kind of looking for the approval of people, and social media speaks to that. How about this? Does anybody ever put on an outfit, look in the mirror, and then go, hmm, not the right outfit, and you go back to your closet and you change, and you put something else on? Are you trying to gain the approval of the mirror? No. You're trying to think, well, how am I going to look to other people in this outfit? And so we change three or four or ten times trying to look just right. How about this? When it comes to our ideas, when it comes to the, the things that we do, the presentations that we give, the meals that we cook, when it comes to these things that we do, we want people to approve of those things. You're doing a great job. Way to go. You made a great meal. Thanks so much. We want people's approval of that. But it goes a little bit deeper because what we're really saying is, did you like the meal? Do you like me? Did you like the meal? Do you like me? Do you like me? Did you like the meal? Do you like the project? Do you like me? And there, our significance is wrapped up in what do people think of what we do or how we act or what we present. You know, and sometimes what happens if, if, if we do something that we like and somebody else doesn't like it, doesn't appreciate it, then we get crushed. You're like, what's wrong? You didn't like the meal? You didn't like the presentation? You didn't like the whatever it is? You didn't like the paper that I wrote? And we get crushed because we don't get their approval. And sometimes it can go a little bit deeper than that as well. That for some of you, there is a constant track in the back of your mind whenever you make a decision and, you're, and you're, the track or the question is, What's my mom going to think of this? I mean, you haven't lived in your mom's house for 20 years, and it's still there going, what would my mom think of this? And we've got that approval track in the back. Or we make a decision based on, am I going to offend somebody? If I make this decision, it's going to offend them, so maybe I don't want to make this decision. Or we make decisions based on what negative reactions are we going to get. I really would love to do this, but if I do this, then this whole group of people or this part of my family, they're going to get all mad and upset. So it's just not worth the hassle of doing it that way, even though that's probably the right way, because I don't want to deal with the hassle of offending them or having them be all negative. 
Here's what Paul writes on the subject of seeking approval of men. This is a letter that he wrote um, to the church at Galatia. This is Galatians 1.10. It says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. See, he lays this out. He says, am I trying to please and get the approval of man? Or am I trying to please and get the approval of God? He even goes so far as to say, if I'm trying to please man, then I cannot be a servant of God. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4, Paul writes this, and it's very similar. He's writing to the church at Thessalonica. He gives a very similar um, statement as to the Galatian church, but there's a little bit added on the end here. It says this, But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. And I want us to camp on that last phrase for just a moment. It says, to test our hearts. You see, we can do the right thing, but with the wrong motives. And God knows that. God tests our heart. He knows not just what we do and what people see, but he knows the motivation behind it. This message for me, um, in, in preparing it and spending a lot of time this week preparing it, has probably been one of the hardest messages to prepare, but also one of the most awesome messages to prepare. And the reason it's been a hard message to prepare is because this is one of my biggest struggles. I'm always battling this this, um, struggle between am I doing this to please people or am I doing this to please God? And so even in standing up here, I have this hesitation of saying, here's how you do it because in a lot of ways I feel like a hypocrite because I certainly don't have this mastered yet. But at the same time, the preparation for this message has been amazing because the whole time that I'm looking into God's word, I know that I have a problem with approval of men instead of the approval of God. And so I'm looking for the answer, saying, God, what's the answer? Let me find in here because I want to please you and not men, but I know that I struggle with that. How do I do that? Because, you know, as uh, in leadership at River Ridge Church, I make a lot of decisions. And I want to make decisions based on where does God want to take River Ridge Church. And so I struggle because I all, I far too often think, well, if we make this decision, then those people are going to be mad. Or if we make this decision, it's going to bother those people. If we do this, and, you know, and always kind of listen to that instead of going, I need to listen to what God wants me to do. Because, you know, you know when it comes to the approval of man and, and significance and all that, it, it's one thing to go, oh, I don't like your cooking. Like, none of you would like my cooking. I don't care if you like my cooking. My cooking is terrible. I know you don't like it. Right? You're not going to like Matt, to like his cooking. You don't like, you like Matt, maybe, but you definitely don't like his cooking. But it's a whole different ballgame if I'm up here going, did you like my sermon? Do you like me? Did you like my sermon? Do you like me? Do you like Riverage Church? Do you like me? Do you like Riverage Church? Do you like me? And I get wrapped up in that. And when I do, it just absolutely devastates me. Because I've realized as I kind of walk through life with this tension and this struggle between approval by people and approval by God, is I realize that when I live that way, it takes probably 10 things to go right or 10 approvals from people 
ten of those things to make up for one criticism. You know, this past week, I was uh, talking with a guy we'd met about a month ago, and he was just struggling, kind of hit rock bottom in a couple of different areas of his life. And we met this week, and I was so encouraged by what he said. He said, I'm doing well with the Lord. I'm going to celebrate recovery on a regular basis. I've gotten involved with a step study. I'm doing well. He's talking about some verses he brought to memory. Just doing really well. I was talking to a guy in the hall just before this service, and he said, yeah, I brought all my neighbor kids to church today. I'm not even sure what one of them's name is, but I got to check him in. Right? I'm like, that, that stuff fires me. I get so excited. But then I get one like critique of the church, like one negative thing about the church, and, like, and I'm like, oh, it just kills me, right? Not that you all are negative. Like, it's the other service. They're the negative ones, right? But, I mean, you guys are always encouraging. It's the, it's the 945, you know. You know, but it's like, gosh, I live on this roller coaster of emotionalism when it's all about are people happy with me? And you guys probably feel that same thing. If you're living for the approval of men, it's always this roller coaster. As I was thinking about this this week, I kind of put, um, and I really, I really did do a lot of praying, a lot of thinking about this. I, I think that the approval of um, men, approval of men, women, people, falls into two kind of broad categories. And then there's a bit of a blur between the first category I would put like this. It's the approval of men that's clearly sinful, clearly against the commands of God. You know, so God says, live this way. And we're like, ah, it's just too hard. I'm going to listen to what my friends say or what my whatever says, and I'm going to do the opposite. Like God says in his word, do this or don't do that. And we do the opposite because we listen to what people say. That's one, and that's um, kind of a bigger, a big category. But the second is this, is the category where we do the right thing, but we do it for the wrong motives. I'm doing the right thing, the thing that God wants me to do, but what's motivating me is because I want people to like me. I want to, be, I want to please men, I want to please women, I want to please people instead of doing it out of response to God. You see, God says, God, I'll give you kind of an example. God says, love people. And there's all sorts of ways that we can love people and love people well. You know, we can encourage them. We can pray for them. We can practice hospitality. We can bear one of those burdens. We can be generous with other people. There's all kinds of ways that we can love people. But the question is, what's our motivation to do that? We can love people and do what God would have us do. But we do it because we want their approval or we want them to like us. And when that happens, it, it creates this kind of blur or this sort of messy, problematic area where we, when we do the right thing for the wrong motives, well, if we don't get the response from the person that we want, then we stop doing it. You see, if I encourage somebody because God says encourage them, then I'll keep doing that. But if I encourage somebody and they don't say thank you or they don't reciprocate or they blow it off, well, then I'm not going to do it again because I'm not getting the response from them. And so then it becomes more of a conditional love than an unconditional love. And the other thing that can happen, again, is we're going through decisions and, and, and how do we live life. If we're listening to people, then we don't listen to the Holy Spirit. And now the loudest voice is, what are people going to think? What do people want from me instead of, how is the Holy Spirit leading me in these different relationships? And, you know, I'd like to tell you that 
in my study this week, in my prayer this week, I found the silver bullet. I have the one key. If you do just this one thing, tomorrow morning you'll never please people again. It'll never be an issue. But that's not the case. That what we're going to see this morning is it's step by step, step by step, small steps in the same direction over and over, over time. That's how God will change us. And so we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter, excuse me, 2 Samuel chapter 6 this morning. 2 Samuel chapter 6. If you have a Bible, open up to that verse or that chapter if you wouldn't mind. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, um, you can download the app uh, from the Riverridge uh, or download the app from the App Store and click Bible on the Riverridge app. But we're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 6. And uh, let me lay out just a little bit of background so we're all on the same page. So in this chapter, there's going to talk about an ark. And this ark was a large wooden box that contained uh, the Ten Commandments and it also had on what was called the mercy seat. And so this box uh, was called the ark, and it was very important in the kind of Jewish faith. It was very central to their worship of God. And so they're bringing it from one place, bringing it to Jerusalem. And in this story, we're going to meet two characters and these characters, I'll tell you what their names are in a moment, but these characters are going to represent one pleasing God and one pleasing people. The first is David. You've probably heard of King David from the Old Testament. So David is the one that pleases God. That's his motivation for life. And then he's married to a woman. Her name is Michael. I realize it's a bit odd to have a person named Michael as a female, but her name is Michael. And what she's going to represent in this room, we're going to see it, is that she's all about pleasing people opposed to pleasing God. And, the, the, what, and I'll give you kind of the 30,000 view uh, of what's going to happen in this story. But basically, David is going to bring the ark into Jerusalem, and he's going to dance and celebrate and thrilled for God and, and pleasing God. But Michael is going to look at that and say, you should be pleasing people. Look what you're doing. So we'll get into it as we move along here. So jumping in in chapter 6, verse 12, about halfway through, it says this. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. Now, I love this picture of what's going on. As David is going in, they take six steps, six short steps, and he stops and he celebrates. He says, we're going to kill the fattened calf. We're going to, fill, we're going to kill the ox. We're going to have a little barbecue right here because we are heading in the right direction. He celebrates those first steps. And then it says this, verse 14. It says, and David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all, his, all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. And so I want you to picture this. Is David is in front of this ark and says he's dancing, he's celebrating because he's doing what God wants him to do, bringing the ark from where it was to Jerusalem. And says he's wearing a linen ephod. That's basically the 1000 BC way of saying David's in his boxer shorts. He's there in his underwear, in his boxer shorts, and he is dancing with all of his might in celebration of what God is doing. David didn't care what anybody thought 
of what he was doing. Were there people around that thought, man, why is he dancing in such a crazy way? Man, why didn't he put on some clothes? Seriously. Were people thinking that? Probably. But David didn't care. Here's the first way to kill approval, is please an audience of one. That's all that he cared about. If I please God, then everything else will take care of itself. I don't need to please myself. I don't need to please people. I just need to please an audience of one. Please God. You know, when I walked on to the stage this morning, we sort of prompted you with the soundtrack and applause, and and you clapped, and I came up here, and there was whistling and all that kind of stuff. And I'll tell you, it's kind of fun to walk up on stage and everybody's going crazy and clapping and shouting for you. There is something that feels good about that. It's easy. It's, it's just it's exciting because we can hear the applause around us. But when we please an audience of one, it's just a single clap. It's God. God is applauding us. It's harder to hear. It's harder to recognize. But when we please an audience of one, an audience of God, it's there. That God is thrilled with who we are and what we're doing. Continues on, verse 16. It says, As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. We'll get into more specifics in a couple of verses about why this was. But the basic gist is that he was pleasing an audience of one, and she thought he should be concerned about the crowds and what they thought of him. And it says this, verse 17. It says, And they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts and distributed among all the people, the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, a cake of bread, a portion of meat, and a cake of raisins to each one. Then all the people departed, each to his house. I love the celebration that goes on here. I love David's single focus on pleasing the audience of one. He brings it up and he makes a tent for the ark. It's just, I just kind of keep this little, there's a little tent. We're going to keep the ark dry. That's important to him, right? And then it says that he offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. And he, and he took the time to sacrifice the animals and to make the fire all. Why? Because he wanted to please an audience of one. But the other thing that I love in this is that in pleasing an audience of one, he cared well for the people who were there. You see, he didn't just go, hey, I'm just pleasing an audience of one. I'm here to worship God, and don't worry about anybody else, and you, know, you guys can all just watch me. Who cares about you? You see, his pleasing an audience of one led him to have a huge party for everybody who was there. Cake of bread, a portion of meat, and a cake of raisins. Everybody participated in this. You see, when we please an audience of one, when we please God, there is a trickle-down effect that we please God, and the way that we please God is we love other people well. It's not do I love God or do I love people. 
No, it's when I love God well, when I please God well, it's going to lead to blessing other people. And that's exactly what happened here. And then we get to Michael, verse 20. It says, And David returned to his household, but Michael, the daughter of Saul, Saul, came out to meet David and said, How the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, female servants, and as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. She's mocking David. She's saying, how could you do this? How could you dance in such a way? How could you dance in your linen ephod, in your boxer shorts, when all these people are around? Aren't you concerned with what they think? Here's the second thing, is identify the people you seek to please. Identify the people that you seek to please. Here's the thing, is while we're kind of slamming Michael here, she does do something that's really insightful, that's really helpful for us, is that she says, the reason that this bothers me so much is because of how you look in these female servants' eyes. You see, I'm concerned with how they look at you. At least she's identified, because sometimes we get bothered, like, I'm just bothered. Why are you bothered? I don't know. I'm just bothered because. But she can look at it and say, it's because you don't care how this group of people looks at you. That was her concern. And I think there's a great challenge for us in that. Who is it that you're concerned about and how they look at you? Is it your friends? Is it your bosses? Is it your coworkers? Is it some people in your family and you're concerned about how are they going to treat me? How are they going to see me if I do this? Is it just kind of the world out there and the appearance and the people on Facebook that check your profile? Who is it as you think about it? And the more specific we can be, the more helpful it is. And so Michael, again, to her credit, she's like, I'm concerned about the servant girls and how they're going to view you. That's a problem to me. Who do you seek the approval of? What people do you seek the approval of? And it skews what God would have you do. You know, for me, if I'm being honest, the people that I try and please are you. Church, people. I'm constantly thinking, what about this? What about that? How are these people going to respond? And I need to recognize, I need to please an audience of one. Do I need to listen to wise counsel? Absolutely. Do I need to consider effects and and all that stuff? Absolutely. But ultimately, I need to go, what does God want from me, for me, with River Church, for my life? And ask that question above all. Verse 21, it continues. It says this. It says, And David said to Michael, It was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord, and I will celebrate before the Lord. So there's a little bit something else going on here, and it's interesting. I I love this passage. I've enjoyed this passage so much digging into it and then sharing it this morning, that that it's usually not quite as simple as, are you going to please God or are you going to please this person? It's usually a bit more dicey, a bit more complex than that, and David is pointing this out here. He says, here's why you're bothered. It's because your dad was Saul, and Saul was the king, 
And then God replaced me, David, as the, he replaced Saul with me as the king. And that's bothering you, Michael, and that's why you're bothered by the fact that I dance. And he, and he kind of gets into this with her. And I tell you, I, I've, I have so much respect for David because, because I've had a wife and I've had a fight with my wife in the past, right? If I'm the only one, so help me. But, you know, like, so they're in this fight, right? And then he doesn't let it go. Like, she's already ticked at him. He's already sleeping on the couch, right? Because this the thing, dancing. But then he says to her, he says, you know why you're mad? It's because God chose me over your dad to be the continuing king over Israel. And I love the fact that he's willing to speak that truth to her, even though it's hard. He doesn't care what she says. He doesn't care if she gets more upset with him because he wants to please an audience of one, consistent in every part of this story with him. And then he says this to her, again, in this confrontation with Michael. He says, um, I'm going to read this out of a slightly different version. It says, I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these servant girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. He says, I'm going to become even more undignified than this. I may even become more humiliated than this because I don't care what these servant girls think of me. I find my significance, my purpose, my meaning of who I am based on what does God think of me, not what do anybody think of me, including these servant girls. Takes us to the third, how do we kill approval, is find my significance in the Lord. Find my significance in the Lord. This is what God says about you. God says that you are a new creation. God says that you are saved based on faith. God says that you are justified. God says that you are his workmanship. God says that you are a citizen of heaven. And God says that you are loved unconditionally. That's where you draw your significance from. That the God of the universe loves you unconditionally. And so it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks of you. It only matters what God thinks of you. And I love the end of this verse 22. I'm going to go back and read part of it. It says, but by these servant girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. It says, you think that they look at me and they look down on me. But the thing is, I'll be held in honor. And what's beautiful about this passage is that what we're doing, what we want to do is we want to gain the approval of God, a pleasing an audience of one, not people. But what happens is when David does this, then the servant girls come and they say, we honor him. Not because he tried to please the servant girls, but because they respected him for pleasing God and there was this, trip, this trickle or this ripple effect of they honored him because he honored God. And I love that when we do what God wants us to do. It doesn't happen all the time, but in this case, he honored God, and then the people, these girls, honored him. I was thinking about stopping on that verse because the next verse is just kind of weird, but I'm going to read it and just let it be weird. Okay? And if you don't like it, I'm not trying to please you, so... Who cares? <laughs> it says this. 
It says, and Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. You read that and you go, why does that say that? And I'm not really sure. It could be that it's a statement about Michael because she didn't have a, an, a pleasing God attitude that she wasn't able to bear children. Or it could just be this is the end of her story because from this point to the rest of the, uh, the, rest of the story, the rest of the New Testament, Old Testament, she's not mentioned anymore. This is the end of her story. I want to finish up for just a couple minutes, and I want us to examine uh, about four different areas where we, or some of us, tend to find approval um, from man instead of God. And some of these will be true of you, and some of these won't be true of you. Here's the first one. If you're here this morning, and you have not placed your faith in Jesus Christ, if you have not yet said, I placed my faith in Christ for the forgiveness of sins, I would challenge you, is there a part of you that's holding back from making that decision because you're afraid of what other people will think or what other people will say? If you tell your friends, hey, I became a Christian, what will they think of you? Or people will think, oh, man, you kind of intellectual suicide. You really believe all that stuff. You become narrow-minded. What will people think of you? I'd encourage you to let all that go and say, I don't care what people think of me. I want to make the right decision and give my life to Jesus Christ. Here's another area for some of you to consider who are single or in dating relationships. And it's about the choices that you make in terms of sex and sexuality and purity. That in dating relationships, there can be pressure from the person that you are dating to do more than what you're comfortable with or more than what you want in terms of physically and sexually. And I challenge you to say, are you pleasing God in that area of your life? Or are you caving in to pleasing the person, the boyfriend or the girlfriend or the fiancé in your life? Here's another area to consider, and this probably applies to just about all of us, is part of the approval of people sometimes is about just saying yes. That do we say yes when we probably should say no because we're just trying to please somebody else? Where they've asked us to do something like, I don't want to say no because it's going to make them mad. I don't want to say no because they're not going to whatever, right? But sometimes we get over busy, over committed, overwhelmed in our lives because we're not willing to say no to the things that really don't point us towards what God would have for us. And so that'd be an area to consider in your life. And here's one more. Do you shrink back from sharing the gospel because you're concerned about what other people will say or what other people will think? Do you have opportunities to stand up for your faith, opportunities to invite somebody to church, opportunities to share your testimony, opportunities to be a person of faith and to put it out there, but you shrink back because you're like, ah, they're going to think I'm weird. Ah, I might hurt their relationship. I'm not sure how they're going to react to that. I don't want to get a negative reaction from them. I'm not going to do it. And we shrink back from being bold in the gospel. Is that an area that perhaps you struggle with? I started the message this morning and, and asked the question of how much do you struggle with the approval of God? And I want to end with a very similar but different how much question. The question is this, is how much, I started with how much do you struggle with the approval of Men, not of God. Sorry, I misspoke there. Um, but the question I want to close with is this, is how much do you want the approval of God over the approval of men? 
Because the thing is, if we can really please an audience of one, it will make our lives so much better, so much simpler. If we didn't live for the approval of men, then criticism wouldn't be so harming to us. If we didn't live for the approval of men, decision-making would be so much less stressful, so much easier. If we didn't live for the approval of men, we wouldn't have nearly the fear of failure that we have because we're afraid to fail and disappoint somebody else. And then the end is this, is if we please God, how much more will we live according to God's plan? How many times do we miss out on God's plan because we're thinking about what somebody else wants for us? Do you want to live for the approval of man or the approval of God? Do you want the singular clapping of God for you or do you want the crowd to applaud you? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you just for this passage and how much life and light it brings to our own lives and where we find approval I pray, God, that you would teach us, that you would show us how we can take steps, same steps in the same direction towards seeking approval from you and you alone. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen.